Ahoy! You're listening to Diffuse Tap with Kenny Estes and Isla Krem. Today, we're chatting with Ali Jamal, founding partner at First Check Ventures. We're going to be talking about how Latin American startups can return an outsized return, how currency fluctuations and government stability affect the investment risks, and whether we are seeing a shift from the valley to the rest of the world. Enjoy. Nice to see you all this morning. Yeah. So if you're confused as to what's going on, that's fair, especially if this is your first time. If it's your second time, you should not be confused. But uh, here's what you can expect. Here's what's on tap here at Diffuse Tap. Uh, this is a weekly event, Wednesday, 10 a.m. Central, hell or high water. We are here. Uh, we're going to briefly talk about Diffuse Tap and Diffuse Funds. Then we're going to have a little 15-minute Q&A session with Mr. Ali Jamal, learning all about Latin America venture scene, which is actually fascinating um and then we're going to do two more rounds of tap rooms kind of similar to what you just did because this is mostly a networking event this is your chance to meet alternative investors from literally all over the world in kind of a rapid fire manner kind of like speed dating if you uh in your chance to connect with them and see what shakes out uh, we do want you to learn a little bit which is why we have mr jamal on to share some of his hard-earned wisdom um, do we also do in-person versions of this event where you just kind of grab a couple of drinks and meet people in the flesh? Uh, if you are looking to host in January, let us know, because I don't think we actually have anything booked right now. Um, so yeah, we can chuck some money towards a couple of drinks and, uh, and go from there. Diffuse Funds itself, we're an alternative fund platform. So we spin up regulated investment vehicles. The big one right now is our Diffuse Digital 30 product, which is an index fund of the top 30 cryptocurrencies, market cap weighted, and as of earlier this year, publicly listed. So let us know if you have any uh, interest in learning more about that. Or we are looking for kind of wholesalers, um, TPMs, folks like that who can help on the distribution and scaling up side of the house. So any introductions like that would be amazing. But that's enough about us. Mr. Jamal, you are muted. Feel free to unmute and tell the good folks a little bit about your background and what you're doing with First Check. Sure. Uh, hi, everybody. I'm Ali Jamal. I'm uh, originally from the U.S. Did my undergrad and master's at Stanford. Three years of investment banking, three years as a data scientist. But I really like to think of myself as a startup person, spent more than a decade in product and growth uh, in startups, a lot of mobile apps, initially in San Francisco and Silicon Valley, but then eventually ended up kind of all over the world, did a, a stint in Asia, and then most recently I have led growth for a couple of different unicorns in Latin America. In those roles, ended up uh, really kind of doubling down on my angel investing. Uh, especially during the pandemic and started to realize that my friends in the U.S. wanted access to more deals and were kind of excited about these emerging markets, but didn't really know where to start. And so I created a, a syndicate on AngelList. That syndicate has done really well over the last three years. We've grown from zero to more than 4,000 LPs. We've done more than 130 investments deployed about $30 million and have about an 80% IRR. Realizing that the deals that performed the best and that I liked the most were early stage Latin American deals that also ended up being the hardest to raise for through the syndicate, I decided to start a fund. And so I recently did the first close on my fund earlier this year. 
We've made four investments so far. Uh, three of the four are marked up um, within the first six months. Uh, one's up 2x, one's up 3x, and one's up 4.4x. So I'm now really focused on being the first check in Latin American companies. Love it. So everybody I know who lives in Silicon Valley claims that you have to be in Silicon Valley if you want to do things with startups. Would you say they're full of shit? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I told that to Jason Calacanis' face uh, <laughs> earlier this year because uh, he did a big thing in his book, Angel, about that. I think historically, right, like that was definitely true. But, you know, the thing is, is that we are, you know, now in a place where all these other markets are able to grow and able to be opened up. And we are seeing not just unicorns, but decacorns emerge from markets that nobody had thought about. Right. Indonesia has, you know, Grab and Gojek, which are both more than $30 billion in market cap, or at least they were when they IPO. Right. Latin America in Brazil, you have uh, Newbank, which was, I think, about 50 billion when they IPO. Right. So we're not even just talking about a single digit unicorn. We're talking about companies the size of DoorDash, the size of, you know, these big, huge conglomerates that we see in the US. And, you know, the thing is, is that Silicon Valley ends up being its own bubble where they're kind of just trapped in their own self congratulation. And they don't think about these average people in these other markets. And I think that's like one of the biggest gaps there is, is serving the everyday people and giving them the basic needs that they have. That makes sense. Um, there's a lot of a lot of people in Latin America uh, that, that do need help with these things. So kind of give me a flavor for the region. It's a big region. Silicon yeah. Valley, AI, tech, cutting edge, whatever. Is that kind of the flavor in Latin America or how would you kind of describe the typical startup? So, you know, I, I think it really depends region to region. They're all having, you know, different challenges and, and different things that they're good at. But, you know, I think one of the biggest things is there's still this huge issue when it comes to anything kind of around finance, um, right? So, you know, 90% of the people still don't have access to credit or debt. You know, we all talk about the 50, 60% that are still unbanked. But even if you are banked, if you don't have access to credit or debt, what are you really able to do, right? You're not able to purchase things without cash. You're not able to, you know, buy a new car, right? Without cash, you're not able to buy a house. There's a joke in Colombia that you work for 80 years to be able to buy your house just to die in it two weeks later, right? Like the whole point is, is, is you can't have that down payment. You can't grow wealth. And when we look at the US, that's one of the biggest sources of wealth has been people being able to put a down payment on a house and the value increase in, in their properties, right? So, so I think there's this huge opportunity to just unlock these basic things that you and I have taken for granted since we've been born. Right. For the last 60 years, we've had access to mortgages. We've had access to car loans. We've had access to payday loans, uh, credit cards, right? Debit cards, all these things and finding ways to make people's lives just smoother in the, in these kind of very simple things, I think can unlock a huge amount of value. And so, you know, one of the things that we had kind of talked about was I don't think you need to be cutting edge. I don't think you need to be do flying drones or building robotics or using, you know, AI or Web3, people just want a mortgage, right? Why can't we figure out better ways or easier ways to offer a mortgage, right? I think 
People just want a bank account that they can use without having to go to the bank 10 times to open it, right? I've lived in Colombia. I've lived in Mexico. It took me six weeks to three months to open up bank accounts in every emerging market I've been in. I opened a bank account on Mercury in five minutes from my, my you know phone. Like it's just a crazy difference in scale and timing. And I have money, right? I have access. I have all these things. If you're an average person who isn't as literate, who doesn't have these connections, doesn't have this network, it just seems like such a disparity. It's such a disadvantage for people. I mean, it makes sense. Um, and just the given that we in the US are, it's a given that you can do anything with finance, right? It's just, you don't have to think about it. It's reasonably smooth. And it's actually, interestingly enough, not to make it all about me, but it does uh, kind of hark back to the, the the crypto use case as a medium of exchange, right? Like it's very difficult to wrap your mind around if it's just so simple, like it is in the US, but if you move to Venezuela, all of a sudden you start to understand it at a much more visceral level. What is the funding scene like? Um, in Latin America, are there a lot of VCs? You mentioned that you're currently a two and a half million dollar fund. That seems tiny in the U.S. Is that is that just a completely different mindset when you go into Latin America? And feel free to mention the SoftBank story because I, when you told me about that, I was fascinated by it. Yeah. So so let's take a step back. So you know, one is that money just goes a lot further in in Latin. So the average cost of an engineer in Silicon Valley is 150, 200K a year. The average cost of an engineer in Colombia, Mexico, Argentina is somewhere between $1,000 to $2,000 a month. So even something like 50K ends up buying you 30, 40 engineering months, right? And, and if you are starting out with a small team, right? Four or five engineers trying to build a mortgage solution or trying to build a better credit solution. If you can't come up with the MVP and some sort of initial traction in five, six months, I don't know if you're ever going to really solve it, right? Like these are pretty basic things that have already existed in other markets. A lot of it is just copy and paste adapting to your local, local place. The funding scene in general in LATAM is you have a couple of really big funds, right? And these funds started out about 10 years go as fairly small funds. What's but really now, big? Now they're over a billion. So we have, I think, three funds that are over a billion. You know, the big ones- Just to clarify, that's three funds over the entire continent. Over the entire continent that are over a, a billion. And you maybe have another five or six that are around a hundred million. But otherwise, there's this huge gap, right? So Kazakh and Monashis have both kind of raised billion-ish dollar funds in the last two years. Uh, you have Bicycle which just came out with uh, you know, a rather large fund. I think they're still raising. Um, but then with between that, there's all these funds that are kind of 100, 150, like all VP in Mexico, you know, I think is 150. Um, but then most of the other funds are just 20 to 30 million. And you know, from my experiences, a large number of these people that are like, you have to think about the people that are getting access to understanding what venture capital is. And typically there are people that kind of come from, you know, from the US that have studied at Harvard or Stanford or whatever. And then they kind of go back to their home market. They're already kind of these rich people and they just tend to invest in other rich people. And then they try to tend to invest in other rich people, which are solving problems for the rich people, right? It's kind of the same problem I think we have in Silicon Valley where everybody's trying to solve problems for the 1%. 
we end up with that same kind of echo a lot in, in LATAM until they get to a point where they are making, you know, a couple million in ARR, 10 million in ARR, then they can be brought to these funds and people start looking at them. And so what we started to see was, was that there's this kind of big gap in sort of, you know, seed, pre-seed, and then especially now over the last year or two, really in the angel market. Because most of these people that were angels were working at big companies like Rappi, Newbank, you know, Kavak, and all those companies have kind of taken a big hit to their market cap. And so they're no longer as certain about when they're going to IPO and when they're going to get access. So the angel market has kind of dried up. And then there's kind of been this strong bias within LATAM that everybody knows it's hot, but nobody really knows who to back. So what we're starting to see is a lot of these US funds use these indicators that you would use in the US, right? And 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 just try to mimic it. So if you were a team that were at HBS, right, or at the GSB, and you went back to LATAM, SoftBank or Tiger would throw $5 million for you at $25 million. And if you were a team that was leaving NewBank or leaving Rappi, they would do similar things, right? And so in 2020 and 2021 and 2022, we saw all these companies get formed that were just starting out without a product, without an MVP, and just getting $10 million off the bat. Now, I would say probably about 70% of these companies have shut down over the last 18 months. A lot of them have done it like quietly, but a lot of them are also kind of doing it publicly and talking about it, right? And, and most of them say, hey, we never really had product market fit, but people kept on giving us money. And so we kept on spending it and try to buy our way into product market fit. And so, you know, what I've been trying to do and, and, and really think about is these other people who are kind of you know, bootstrapping and who need a little bit of cash to get to that next level and finding those people. Because those people are the ones that have actually built sustainable companies. And even when you look back into the early days of, of you know, companies like Rappi and, and whatever, they were all bootstrapped, right? All these unicorns that are now existing were bootstrapped. None of them typically got $5 million in their pre-seed. And so... You know, I think a lot of people want to look at these SoftBank and Tigers throwing around, you know, $20 million seed, you know, seed rounds and, and $5 million pre-seed on nothing. But I actually think one of the bigger issues is probably like the impact that YC has had because it was an expectation over the last couple of years that if you were a good company in LATAM, and actually, I think across all emerging markets, right, that you were going to go to YC. And it became this big thing where they were taking 30, 40 companies a batch. YC has dramatically dropped the number of companies that are getting accepted, right, from around 400 to 200. But along with that, they've done this huge shift into AI, which I think a lot of emerging markets are doing. And what we saw was instead of accepting 40 LATAM companies per batch, they're now accepting two. They went from 25 companies in Africa down to one. They went from 30, 40 companies in South Asia down to one or two, right? And so all these companies that thought, hey, we were going to get into YC, we have a good recommendations, none of them got in. And all these companies kind of need US investors because they're going to need a Series A to happen. And there really aren't that many funds besides Kazakh, Monashis, you know, this four or five funds 
that could do a Series A in LATAM. And so they all know they need to get in front of U.S. funds. But without that YC validation, nobody in LATAM really seems to, to, or nobody in the U.S. really seems to know how to evaluate LATAM companies, um, right? And so I get this all the time from people like, you know, how do I look at this company? And I'm getting calls from all these VCs in the U.S. like, hey, you know, we still want to be in LATAM, but we don't know, like, what's going on, right? And, and oh, hey, I'm looking at this, you know, we're minutes company. What do you think? And I'm like, look, I've seen 30 Reminitz companies over the last three months, right? Like Reminitz is, isn't something that's super rare. But the fact is that most people aren't looking at it and don't know that there are, you know, 29 other options. And so if you're like me and you're actually studying the market and you can go and just talk to as many companies as possible, you can start to stack rank and figure out who's actually somebody that's good and, and make those bets early. But I think it's really tough otherwise, because not only are there the challenges of what do people really need, these businesses are kind of unsexy, right? Like I was at a conference and there were some USBCs that like, oh, I don't get this. Like all these companies are doing really stupid, basic shit. And I'm like, you know, I want to invest in Web3. I want to invest in drones. I want to invest in robotics. And I was like, yeah, but people here don't need robotics, right? The average cost of labor is $200 a month. What they need is like a way to like, you know, save up money for their kids to go to college. And until there's those things there, I feel like all the cutting edge stuff is kind of a secondary thing. Fascinating. $200 a month. Unreal. We're coming up on time, so we'll try to get a last one. The natural progression seems to be, I'm a LATAM company, I need US money, I'm just going to go move to the Valley within 10 minutes to uh, Mr. Sorensen's comment there of all of the other VCs, and I'm just going to you know, network and get money from them. Is that happening? And if not, why isn't that happening? So I think, again, right, there was this thing of kind of going into YC, spending three months in, in mm -hmm. San Francisco. And, and getting in front of a ton of VCs and then being able to go back to LATAM. You know, now I've seen people go and try to do it by getting into tech stars or whatever. I feel like you kind of need an, an excuse to be in the Valley versus mm -hmm. just making the jump in, into San Francisco right away. And I also think one of the big things is, okay, yeah, you can be in San Francisco, but if you don't have the people to open the doors for you, it's mm -hmm. kind of not really that valuable, right? And so... What I've preferred is the founders who are staying in their market and, and executing. And then, you know, I've seen companies that bootstrap till, you know, three, four, five, seven million in ARR, right? And then when you're going to the Valley or you're going to New York or Miami, when you have hit those traction numbers, the doors open a lot faster. And it's a lot easier for people to kind of, you know, back you and support mm -hmm. you. So totally. my advice is typically like, you know, don't worry about funding. Again, an engineer is going to cost you 10, 12, 15 grand a year, right? Like even with the relatively bootstrapped amount of money, you can get pretty far, right? Go get some traction, go get some customers. Mm -hmm. When you have that kind of backing behind you, doors open, right? And there are kind of, you know, some pre-seed funds, some seed funds, some angels in LATAM that are in your home market that can open doors. I hope to be one of them, right? And, and, I think there are opportunities, but I feel like just moving to the U.S. and not being with your team, not executing with them just makes everything a little bit more challenging. Totally. I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, you're going to be in a different continent again, and that's a massive handicap if you're trying to run a business, mm -hmm. right? That's not going to work very well. Ollie, we're out of time. 
Sorry, um, we could have done this for quite some time. Thank you for sharing some of your thoughts. A couple of housekeeping items for you. Um, we're going to pop into break, uh, tap rooms now. Uh, networking, not pitching. Please be kind to, or please be respect that and each other. Uh, we don't do a full participant list for privacy reasons. If you meet somebody you want to connect with, swap details there or join our Telegram group and say hello and uh, network. That's what everybody's here for. Tap rooms themselves. Typically, it starts with introductions. Just do a quick round and then discuss the topic for, oh, about 10 minutes. Um, and Isla, what is that topic? The topic is what are some interesting things you have seen come out of LATAM in the last year? That could be crypto, that could be financial services, that could be anything else that you might find worth talking about. I'll pop you into rooms now and we'll see you back here in just 10 minutes. Welcome back, one and all. Uh, Ollie, I forgot to warn you, but I did remember to send you the WhatsApp. Uh, tell us the future while Isla shuffles the room. What are you excited by? What's coming down the pipe? So, you know, I've invested in a lot of emerging markets. And one of the reasons why I decided to focus on LATAM is I personally feel like it's the closest to tipping and to go from emerging market to established market. Right. And that might sound crazy to the people in India or whatever. But when you actually look at the market, right, it has a GDP per capita the same as China. It's now getting tailwinds from US nearshoring. It's in the same time zone as the US, right? You have 700 million people with a relatively similar culture. There's a lot more immigration that's happening between these places, right? You go to Mexico City. And you'll meet Argentinians, you'll meet Colombians, you'll meet Venezuelans. So there's a lot more of exchange of ideas and even people from, you know, Asia and Africa migrating there. And I think when you start to have all these different ideas, all these different people, this better cost of living, it's easier to build. It's easier to grow. It's easier for the idea, this idea exchange, I think. Immigration, right, is I think what really drives success. And like when I look at the US and all the stuff with Trump over the last, you know, seven, eight years and the fact that he might be coming again, right? And and his views on immigration, I think that that's like a death sentence, right? Like what we need in the US is more immigration, right? Like when we look at the companies that are unicorns, most of them are founded by, by majority, I think, are founded by immigrants, right? And so I, I think immigrants, this exchange of ideas, this drive, this passion, I think is really important. And I think Latin America has been one of the most open markets and even just culturally, like, like I think it's much more open, right? They've had presidents of you know European and Asian descent, right? Like people that were born in Asia became presidents of some of these countries, right? There's a wider disparity of race and religion. And, and even though there's kind of the similar culture, there's a lot of variety within that culture. And I think that creates opportunities that you don't get as much of in these monoliths like, you know, Indonesia, Pakistan, India, Nigeria, Egypt, right? Which are, are all really interesting markets, but they're all kind of closed off to immigrants and to new ideas, to people coming. They're not as open to it. And, and so, you know, I think that the future of LATAM is tipping. I think the future of LATAM is becoming more and more open and is becoming, you know, in the same way that we think about Europe, right? And maybe it's not how we think about the UK or France, but maybe the same way that we think about Spain or Italy, I think we should be thinking about Brazil and Mexico mm -hmm. and that it is, you know, kind of, you know, a place where you can 
you know, go and work and grow even as an American. And that's what I see happening. And I'm seeing more and more Americans, you know, move to these yep. places, work in these places. And I think that's what's really exciting because that, again, then doubles down this whole idea of exchange of ideas and exchange of uh, knowledge. Well, if you really believe that, you should like make a fund or something to invest in it. I don't know. <laughs> but no, I think uh, the immigration thing is, I mean, immigration in and of itself is an entrepreneurial activity, right? Yeah. So it kind of makes sense that the kids of or active immigrants become entrepreneurs, right? The people that do that in the first place have a particular skill. But we don't want to get too far down into the politics rabbit hole. So Isla, do you have another topic for another room? And you are muted in case you were unaware. Unmuted. Yes, I do. Uh, the next topic is politics. How do you guys think that uh, the political environment of LADAM is going to affect startups or emerging technology from being successful? I'll pop you into rooms now. We shall see you back here just before the top of the hour. All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, let me find the right slide for the wrap up. Here we go. Uh, but first, Mr. Jamal, plug your pluggables. How can people find you? Where do you want to send them? Yeah. So the easiest way is probably just to connect with me on LinkedIn. I put my LinkedIn um, in in the group chat. I, I have a website, firstcheckventures.com. That's where that's where I kind of list my current portfolio. Um, and then ajamal at firstcheckventures.com is my email address as well. If you want to email me, but I, I feel like I end up uh, responding fastest on LinkedIn for some reason. It's just... Uh, I feel like LinkedIn, I get the messages that they pop up versus uh, on email. I have to actually go check it. Um, so I end up being a bit faster on LinkedIn. Well done. I'm pretty sure that my LinkedIn should go straight to my garbage because I never read those things. That's <laughs> so a way to be better than me. All right. So up next, uh, we did mention this is a weekly event next Wednesday, 10 a.m. Central. Blockchain banishing green washing. We get to do a little ESG, a little bit of blockchain, checking a couple boxes there. Diffuse Tap IRL January. We are seeking someone who wants to call a bar and tell them we are coming in your hometown. So let us know if you want to be that person. Um, and then Telegram, join it, say hello, introduce yourself, and uh, yeah, stay abreast of what we're up to and take it from there. Uh, Isla, what else was I supposed to talk about? Happy holidays. Oh, yeah, that. Holidays. That thing, and uh, we're really grateful you're here. And you can't believe it, but next week we'll also be here for another yeah. session for the full four and a half year streak. That's what's happening around here. So yeah. Thank you so much for coming yet again. Yes, thank you, everybody. And Ali, thank you for sharing some of your wisdom and joining us here today. Um, always super appreciate to learn something new about something I know nothing about, which is Latin America. But thank you, everybody. We'll see you next week. Happy holidays. Bye. Bye. That's all, folks. Hope you learned something new. If you join us on Zoom every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central, you can also network with other fascinating alternative investors from all over the world in small groups of four or five. Learn more on our website at www.diffusefunds.com. Until next time. <laughs>